Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, it's the first of its kind in Canada. Lakeland College announced the new Bachelor of Agriculture Technology degree program starting in the fall of 2021 at Vermilion, Alberta. Josie Van Lent, the Dean of Agriculture Technology and Applied Research, will tell us about the development of this new program, how students wanting to stay and learn more at the college played a role, and the consultations and feedback from the ag industry shaping the curriculum. The commodity markets continued to shock and amaze farmers and grain traders. February arrived the same way that January ended, with prices technically and fundamentally trending higher. Seed Grain Marketing Senior Analyst Wayne Palmer says the market's wild ride of the past few weeks may be a recurring theme this year, and they're showing no sign of easing up heading into planting and the summer growing season. Wayne will talk about the latest trends, how every USDA supply-demand report will be important in confirming the continuation of very tight supplies and aggressive demand. And while prices are great for farmers who still have grain to sell, there is also a downside to this active market. After the break, Josie Van Lent. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Josie Van Lent is the Dean of Agriculture, Technology and Applied Research at Lakeland College in Vermilion. And she's here to tell us about the new Bachelor of Agriculture Technology degree at the Vermilion campus. So first of all, Josie, tell us how this whole concept uh, got started. Um, It started probably about... Well, the first bug in my ear came from some of our advisory committees and the need for our programs to have more depth in ag technology. And uh, so the start was really about four years ago, as well as um, a lot of contacts I have from my days in industry, you know, who I'd run into at conferences, et cetera, as well as my colleagues were experiencing the same thing. So that led to a deeper discussion at Lakeland about how we meet the needs of the industry in terms of the skill sets and experience and education they need around ag technology. Um, that led to an industry needs assessment uh, where we, we uh, I think there was about 50 to 60 in, uh, industry people that we surveyed and discussed in depth um, around their needs. Uh, in, in If we were to offer additional programming at Lakeland College in Agriculture, in particular to a degree, you know, what are your greatest needs right now? And we have kind of an open lens to that. And what we heard back was ag technology, um, more business skills, and continue to develop to, to, to develop the soft skills needed for the workplace in these individuals. And so from that needs assessment, we progressed with developing um, the program that we have today. It is really remarkable in the last even 10 years, the amount of agriculture-related technology that's out there. How do you establish um, a new program and make sure that you're hitting all those key areas? It's a super good question and and has been really um, challenging. Uh, And the other point is it's, it's changing so rapidly. So how do we as a program... Uh, evergreen and continue to move to where the industry is in terms of technology. Uh, we've, we've focused on crop technology and animal science technology, livestock technologies uh, specifically. Uh, embedded in, in the way that we've developed this degree and in the curriculum is the ability for us to move and change as the industry needs move and change. We also have 
industry partners that are stepping up who, um, you know, who are going to work with us in showcasing their technologies or in teaching students about their technologies. And what's great about that for us is it allows us to then evergreen, right? They're clearly going to bring the latest and best every time they show up for a lab or in the classroom. So that industry connection, again, is really key, I think, to us staying abreast of what we do in egg technology. So, Josie, let's talk about the program itself and just give us some uh, details about how long it is um, and, and maybe mentioned as well about the specialization of either crops or livestock that's involved with that. The program is two years. So this is a post-diploma or post-degree program. The students that currently have a degree or diploma in agriculture um, have, have the ability to enter the program. And then it's one more year of academic studies, another uh, 11 courses, 10 are embedded in the, in the first year of the degree. And the second year of the degree is a, is, um, encompasses industry pra- and industry practicum or practicums, depending on, on the area that the student's um, um, interested in. And also industry needs as practicums go. Uh, so it's, it's got a very applied focus. Um, there is an expectation for students to work very closely with um, industry throughout the whole program. And uh, students can specialize in, we do have some foundational training in ag technology to all students in both crops and livestock. And then they have the ability to specialize in either or to, um, some of the courses will be, they'll start out for a couple months to learn about both technologies, and then they'll split off and start to specialize a bit more. Those practicums, um, not just with this particular program, for a lot of programs are very beneficial. I guess that's uh, uh, the book learning happens, but there's really nothing like the hands-on experience. And, you know, I couldn't agree more. We have um, our diploma programs are actually very hands-on with our student-managed farm concept where students actually manage various farm units right, right on the college grounds. Um, we're real believers at Lakeland in experiential learning and in being connected to industry. Uh, you know, industry is where these students, uh, industry, government, et cetera, where these students end up being employed. And so the more of an interface we have with the workplace, I think the better job we're going to do in preparing students for the workplace. And um, as well, the government in Alberta has, has uh, our KPIs, or um, there's quite a few key performance indicators now that are tied to uh, our work with industry and things like practicums and student placements and students really experiencing the workplace. And, you know, at the same time, it provides us as an um, institution who, you know, our specialty is education and that to itself is a science and an art. So it allows us to um, support industry as well in the training that they need. Of course, the most important is graduating and then finding a job. So tell us where they're going to find jobs. Well, right now, the jobs, um, if, you, if you were to Google jobs in agriculture, so many of them come up anymore with a technology component. And technology is seeping into so many aspects of agriculture. And as such, um, you know, if you're an agronomist, you may be working, for example, with a producer on a data management or data, you know, data management software program. And so your understanding of both agronomy and that program is really crucial to working well and ensuring that the producer gets the kind of data that's useful to him in making decisions on his farm. Um, so more and more, there's such a strong integration, and we're certainly seeing that in the job opportunities. Um, the crop service sector is interested. Clearly, equipment dealers are interested. 
um, those that are developing and manufacturing technology have positions available. Um, you know, the livestock industry, you know, we've got feedlots now looking at automated trucks and, you know, we've got automated feeding and dairy barns. And all that equipment needs to be serviced. It needs to be implemented on farm. And it needs to be operated in a way that the producer is going to get an ROI on it. And so uh, as industry, as I said, as, as technology seeps into agriculture, uh, the jobs are reflecting that. There's, um, I guess the other exciting thing is that uh, the students that will be starting this program, I understand, in the fall, this fall of 2021. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right, yep. And uh, yeah, they're, going to, they're going to enjoy the new technology center. So tell us about this new facility. Yeah, we were able to take um, what was, was an absence at one time, actually, a cold storage facility on our farm. And it's been, it was renovated into a welding lab. And then we, um, we received it back in the School of Agriculture. And we've turned it into an 8,000-square-foot, um, what, what, what is now and will continue to evolve into an ag technology center. Um, and in, that, in the renovations that we've done currently, we have a data lab. We have some space, uh, sort of a lab, part of a lab that's dedicated to innovation, innovation space, as well as um, a lab where students can work with equipment. For example, maybe I want to take apart that GPS unit to see how it really op- operates. You know, have a look at sensors that go on tractors. Um, you know, a, a robot, a, a milking robot, for example. Let's look at how the technology is tied into the hard, both the hardware and software are tied in to that piece of equipment. And so part of the lab space is dedicated to that, to really looking at how technology is integrated into equipment. And I don't know if we actually said this, but this is at the college at Vermilion, right? Yeah, thanks. That's great <laughs> clarification. Because we do have two campuses, one in Lloydminster and one in Vermilion. And our agriculture school is housed on the Vermilion campus. We have a student-managed farm. We have a um, significantly significant-sized farm that models industry farms. Um, we've got crops, purebred cattle, a research cattle herd, as well as a commercial cattle herd, um, a dairy, a state-of-the-art new dairy um, with lots of technology. And our students, our diploma students, manage that farm. And we're going to have the degree students work on the work with the diploma students in implementing technologies on our farm, just as they would perhaps in an industry setting. So um, we'll have the students also working closely on our student-managed farm um, with these technologies. So I guess now, anyone interested in getting more information, where can they find it? There's information up on our website. I really encourage people that are interested to stay tuned. We are working, still working through a couple of uh, pieces around prerequisites for the degree that I think are going to be changing shortly here in the next couple of weeks. But our website has a ton of information. And also, um, Alan McMillan is our academic advisor in the School of Agriculture um, and myself. Please feel free to call me. And all of our contact information is available on our website. Josie, that's all the questions I had. Was there anything else you wanted to add? So that, you know, a few things to do around the degree, but uh, we'll be ready for fall now, no doubt. We've got curriculum developed and, uh, you know, we're kind of in a fine-tune, fine-tuning the program um, in the next couple of months. So, Lakeland College Dean of Agriculture Technology and Applied Research, Josie Van Lent. After the break, commodity analyst Wayne Palmer shares his thoughts on the continued rise in the grain and oilseed markets, how much higher it could go, and the concern about the correction to come. 
Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Exceed Grain Marketing Senior Analyst Wayne Palmer is here to talk about the unprecedented upswing in commodity prices. So first of all, Wayne, can you give us the backstory of really what led up to this point with these high prices? Well, it all started with uh, vegetable oils um, and a short crop in the United States uh, expected a much bigger total production crop and um, yields were reduced reduced, and thus total production was reduced as well. And then uh, we had Malaysian palm oil start to rally. And then, of course, soy oil rallied against that. And then we had canola crushers because... What crushers do is when we put board crush on, they buy the canola seed on the futures and then sell the products, which is the meal and the soil oil in the United States. So as the oil prices rallied, um, canola rallied with it. Then what we had was a problem in South America. Uh, They had basically almost a 40-year lack of moisture, which... um, we're waiting now. The harvest is starting in Brazil, and Argentina will start probably within the next couple of weeks. They've had adequate moisture here over the last two to three weeks. Is that going to bring their harvest along and get their average, or their yields back up to average? Um, we'll find that out momentarily, but their harvest usually goes on for a matter of two to two and a half months. They uh, they don't get anything off. Uh, they, they take a long time planting, and they also take a long time harvesting. So the world is waiting to see if we can replenish global stocks because of the, com- the unbelievable rampant demand. Um, our global stocks are in an alarmingly decreasing situation. Uh, China... Uh, as far as soybeans, uh, has taken uh, soybeans this year, the last three months, they've taken more than they've ever taken since 1991. Um, China is buying canola. Um, they're, they're stockpiling. They realize that we have a short crop. The crushing crush margins have been fantastic. The crusher is crushing canola at capacity. And thus, we have d- demand, rampant demand, and a lack of supplies. When grain prices, especially canola, was trading between 10 and 10.50 in August, farmers were pre-hedging, saying, if I can get 10.50, $11, I'll sell it off the combine, I'll pre-sell it. He sold a big chunk of his canola uh, before harvest, and when he got to $11, he sold more canola, and then from August, we just went straight up. The market has really not looked back at all. And right now, Malaysian palm oil is trading over 10-year highs, as is canola. We've not seen these prices in over 10 years. Uh, when we had, uh, we had uh, a major correction in the market, funds were overbought on corn, beans, and canola. South American crop improved, and the charts turned from being very, very bullish because the market went straight up to now turning bearish. Well, you had commercial selling, uh, you had speculator selling, and you definitely had fund long liquidation. On Monday morning, uh, when we came into work, uh, everybody feared we're going to have the same 
situations we had last week because canola went down about $40 a metric ton last week. Um, we did go lower, and then abruptly the brakes were put on, and before you knew it, we were going for a moonshot on all the, all the grains, including wheat. Everything went straight up, and everybody got caught short. Everybody had a, uh, uh, it was very painful for a lot of players. Uh, and, and the simple answer to the question of why they go up so fast is because there's just a lack of sellers. We, there, there are no sellers in the market. When it was a technical market, the funds were selling out their long position. But when the market started to rally, the farmer doesn't have it. He has already sold a big portion of canola, soybeans, wheat, and corn. He doesn't have it for sale. Um, and that's why these prices are going to go higher. And we're going to have this situation of tremendous volatility until the North American crop is in the bin. South America, they have already pre-sold probably about between 50 and 60% of their crop already. So they need at least an average crop in order to make those sales work. And if their crop comes in lower than expected, it, it just it puts, just makes uh, the North American crop uh, much more magnified as being uh, having to be at least good and hopefully very good to replenish global stocks. I mean, what does this mean for farmers uh, with regards to the 2021 crop? Do you anticipate that uh, many of them are going to be locking in um, early? And is this early for for the fall? Um, most producers would lock in, I would think, 20 to 25 percent this early in the game plan, especially when they do their cost of production and they can see they're profitable on any of the grains. Um, at these prices, when you look at historically over probably the last 20 years, these are the pro- probably the best prices that you've seen for canola in quite a few years. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go uh, any more than that 20 or 25 percent and lock it in. Especially you're going to be more profitable this year than any other year, only because there's such a demand for North American grain. If we happen to have a wreck like they've been having in Australia, in South America, uh, in Russia, and in the U.S. last year where we're expecting uh, much bigger crops. The uh, the focus is right now on North America, and if we ran into a problem here at all in spring with hot and dry or a planting where you couldn't even too, too wet, it will just put so much more of an onus on North America so I wouldn't want to get too far extended, but you definitely have to. If you're going to grow uh, canola, you have to hedge some at this kind of a price because we are overpriced, and eventually the end-user buyer is going to turn his attention on new crop and not buy any old crop because new crop prices are much cheaper than old crop. Right now uh, in the country, I think there, you probably can get 16 to 16.50 a book. Uh, uh, for, for canola, a bushel, and new crop, you're lucky to be able to get 12. So that's a big, big disjoint from new crop to old crop, and that's reflected in the old crop, new crop, uh, July, November canola spread in the futures, which is has traded over $100. 
I, in my 40 years of being in the grain trade, this early in the game plan, I've never seen it trade over $100. If it's going to trade, uh, it's going to be somewhere in the spring when somebody is squeezed and doesn't have the, enough canola, a cash canola, and they're also short futures. But this spread just tells you and reflects that there is a huge supply problem for canola, and the demand is still here, and we have to price ration, or otherwise, who knows how high the price of canola can actually go. So, Wayne, while the prices are are great for farmers right now, maybe just explain what some of the negative connotations are of, of this situation. What what it does is it re just reinforces the managed money fund. They are very very profitable in a year like this because they they they're predicated on when a market either goes straight up or straight down. So they've made their customers a lot of money on the way up, and they're continuing to buy it. But for every buyer, there's a seller. Somebody is short whether they short the futures or short cash, whether it's soybeans, corn, or canola, those people are losing money because they're paying rock are really high prices for it. When something goes up this dramatically, this quickly, there's always losers into the market. The markets are much better aligned and, and, and normal when you have gradual increases or gradual uh, markets that go down. So you have to take into account right now the people who are along the market, the farmers are just, well, they're, they're doing very, very well. But when the reverse comes true, it's going to be completely volatile on the way down, and it's just going to be the same thing, is that farmers can sell it on the way up, but when the market starts to come on the, back on the way down and the funds make it very painful and sell, sell, sell every day. Um, as they get more and more powerful, it just means that somebody is always a loser on either side of the market. And they're losing very, very big. Uh, that's why the markets are always, uh, from, from, from just my experience, that the more they trend slowly up or trend slowly down means that people can play the market and have opportunities. When there are no opportunities, it just makes the futures market and grain trading very, very treacherous. And one of the things I have to add to, Alice, is that as the prices go higher, you have less and less people playing the market because the volatility is so enormous. The stress level that they will just basically exit the market and only trade the market if they absolutely have to. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think that that's about it. There's no point even adding the the, the, the Canadian dollar. Um, there's really uh, not not even any reason to think about what the, you know farmers are going to plant, whether it's uh, wheat, barley, lentils, a new crop, or canola. Right now, with the dynamics in the market, um, we're probably at least you know, up until middle of March before we were even going to think about what are farmers going to uh, do because 
there there can be some crazy things still happen here, Alice, that uh, we're just going to shake our head and say, holy man, I didn't see that coming. There's been a whole <laughs> lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't see um, like, that coming. <laughs> no, nobody saw Monday coming. And here's it Wednesday, Wednesday and Canola's traded at $645 on the futures on Monday and is trading at $705 and even that, over that on the futures on Wednesday, two days later, I've never seen a move like that ever before. And a dollar a bushel in, in soybeans, fifty cents a bushel in corn. Those are tremendous, tremendous moves that you only see that on summer drought conditions when the when the crop is failing right in front of our eyes. It, and it's it's no one thinking about planting any crops in the states either. It's just. North America has gone completely berserk, and it's all predicated on demand and lack of supply and uh, everybody else's problems, and not ours right now. Um, I guess one other comment, Wayne. This really is not COVID-related. Yeah, um, when this happens, um, you know, it's um, we're talking about the grain markets. Uh, you know, for the most part, everybody, the first thing on their mind and first subject to talk about is, how you're impacted by COVID, but this uh, this has nothing to do with COVID. Wayne Palmer is a senior analyst with Exceed Grain Marketing. It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for the week of January 25th, 2021. A weather and market specialist uh, expressed some concern about seeding conditions this coming spring. Markets Farm Director Bruce Burnett said there is a significant chance there will be below normal temperatures to start spring planting season on the northern prairies. As a general rule, western regions of the prairies had better topsoil moisture conditions heading into winter than eastern Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Manitoba rejected the federal government's proposal to improve agri-stability. The federal agriculture minister, Marie-Claude Bebo, said to make any significant changes, two-thirds of the provinces need to agree, and the weight of each province is based on the level of participation of its farmers. She made the comments to the Keystone Agricultural Producers' annual meeting. The latest Saskatchewan wheat outlook said world wheat futures fell sharply as the debate about the unresolved export tax issues in Russia continued to dominate the markets. The outlook set North American wheat is increasingly competitive on the world market, but until the Black Sea grain market settles down, the extent of any change in the market demand switching would be tough to assess. The outlook says number one spring wheat, 13.5% protein, should still sell for $7.75 to $8 or more per bushel in Saskatchewan. Farmers have a new tool to track their mental health. The mobile app Avail offers producers a confidential system for actively recording and analyzing their mental health, accessing online resources such as articles and videos, and finding and accessing care providers in their communities. The app encourages regular check-ins and allows producers and their care providers to find patterns in the data they log. The developer, Bridges Health, was the winner of the 2020 Innovation Challenge. They received $10,000 as well as a 16-week residency to develop a veil. Workers in Alberta's meatpacking sector are asking for vaccinations sooner rather than later. In a telephone discussion with a panel of experts for members of the United Food and Commercial Workers Local 401, President Thomas Hesse said the plant employees are essential and should move higher on the list for the vaccine. 
He said the vaccine should be readily available to essential workers who aren't necessarily health care providers. The JBS Canada plant in Brooks and Cargill beef plant in High River had outbreaks last spring. Manitoba Pork has found its new general manager. Cam Dahl will take over the position. Dahl has extensive background in Canadian agriculture in both the livestock and crop sectors. He most recently served as the chief strategy officer for Cereals Canada. He was also the general manager of Manitoba Beef Producers, commissioner for the Grain Commission and executive director of Grain Growers of Canada. Several agriculture organizations are coming together to introduce young people to careers in agriculture. Kindergarten through grade 12 students will have a chance to learn more about future opportunities in the plant protein, agri-food and digital agriculture sectors. Protein Industries Canada, along with others, are joining forces to help address the industry's growing need for a skilled workforce. The program will engage youth in Saskatchewan, Alberta and Manitoba with a particular focus on Indigenous and other underrepresented groups. Canadian flax acreage isn't expected to rise very much this year in spite of some pretty high market prices, some in that $16 a bushel range. Marlena Borsch with Mercantile Consulting Venture says that Russia is the largest flax exporter followed by Canada and Kazakhstan. Canada's largest flax markets are China, the European Union and the United States. The federal and provincial governments are providing $7.5 million for livestock and forage research in Saskatchewan. Ministry of Agriculture Executive Director of Research Sean Gibson said the money would cover research projects like improving cattle health by removing sulfates from farm ponds. This year, there are 24 livestock-related projects and funds will also support the Prairie Swine Centre and the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization. The Omnics and Precision Agricultural Lab has been launched by the Global Institute of Food Security at the University of Saskatchewan. It's designed to help farmers to target plants with precise amounts of inputs. Opal brings together analytics and agriculture technology. The -the state-of-the-art facility is the only one of its kind in Canada with a focus on the study of genetic materials and organisms, traits, and analysis of biological data. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.